episode 270, Gunner Alan Lindblom. From Goodfella to Novel King. Welcome. Check out this fantastic podcast. Do the little guy a favor. Subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, former teacher and athlete, now turned lifestyle entrepreneur, best-selling author, keynote speaker, and host of the Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Every week I start it off with me, myself, and I and my thoughts on the week, and this is also accompanied by the brand new for 2017, Awaken Your Alpha TV on YouTube, so please do jump over there. Get to the podcast. I'm getting to it, Alan. As usual, please do head over to ayalpha.com to connect with the show, connect with me. The easiest and most interactive way is men, please do head over to Facebook, Awaken Your Alpha with ALW, and basically connect with like-minded individuals. Share, review, like, and reach out to me, connect. I'd love to hear your story and what you're up to and what you're doing to make a difference and a change in yourself and in the world. I look forward to sharing this week's guest. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast, Live Limitless. Okay, we have a very different one today. We usually have a lot of people who have written books that are usually more sort of self-help business. We have a novelist on the line today. He's recently published two very popular novels, To Be A King, Volume 1 and 2. People are calling it, you know, The Next Godfather. It's a series based on the Detroit Mafia family. He's also the founder of a clothing line, Arthing Apparel. And all this, you think, yeah, that's quite good. But this is a little bit more interesting when you consider he's only been out of prison about a year. And he was actually released from prison after serving 13 years for extortion, bank robbery, armed robbery, weapons violations, and a load of other things. Um, and in this previous life, life, even, he was what the FBI referred to as an enforcer for elements of the Detroit Mafia, which he was born into. So we're going to dig into that. But firstly, Gunner, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? Oh, I'm 100%. Yeah, yeah. I'm oh. waiting for this. <laughs> awesome. And... Uh, He's escaped that life, as we talked about. He's tucked away in a nice little quiet northern Michigan town, Roger City. That's how uh, I've come across him. and We've bumped into each other a few times in the gym. Is there anything you'd like to add, highlight, or take away from that brief bio I did for you? I guess in the grand scheme of things, I've always kind of known I was the person I am now. Um, but in my previous life, I just never had time. Or, or the inclination, uh, but I always wanted to be a writer. I guess I've always had that creative gift. I had uh, these, these stories in my mind, you know, so many of them running around. And the weird thing was, although I ran around in the streets hustling and doing all these various um, nefarious, if you will, um, criminal activities, I always had, I was a, re- a reader. So I read all the time, which my friends and uh, family, I uh, thought it was pretty weird. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I, I thought they would always, what are you doing? You got a book, you know, you're always reading a book, you know, I yeah. mean, novels. And, um, and in my mind, I always thought, you know, this book is okay, but I could write a better book. I could write better stories. And then yeah. it only takes a piece of one book to spark um, something in motion in my mind um, or, or just a word or scene or whatever. And before you know it, I've, I've sat for hours and hours, you know, in a prison cell. Yeah. Thought, thought to myself, um, it are created an entire story, entire story. And most of my novels are quite long. Uh, they average probably around five to 700 pages. Yeah. Um, my longest being over a thousand. Whoa. So, so they're complex a, stories. Yeah. They're yeah. very complex. Um, you know, so you've heard of character driven novels and you've heard of story driven novels or, or plot driven. 
And then for me, I get, my wife called me the unicorn, believe me, because she's been publishing all her life. So you have, oftentimes you have uh, character-driven novels and you have plot-driven. And then also lots of times you have well-written novels, but the stories are, and then you have yeah. like some people who can write really well. And then some people who write really well, story, uh, great stories. And then once in a while you have the person who can do both. Tell us your original origins. I know you're originally from Detroit. You touched it there. You was like reading books and stuff, but your environment, your surroundings was close, had sort of mob ties. Can you remember almost like the, uh, the moment when you felt like, did you make a conscious decision? This is where you're going with your life in terms of I'm, you know, getting into this side of things or did you just kind of get sucked up with it? How did that happen in your early years? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I, because I was, I was born into a family that had, was very, um, that had deep roots in Detroit organized crime, Italian. Um, my, my, my family's Toko, which is uh, notorious in um, Detroit. And uh, my grandfather's younger cousin was like the boss of the family for um, 30 years. Um, and, you know, my uncles, Pete and Sal, they were kind of like um, my mentors. You know, but the thing is, they knew right away that I wasn't going to be, you know, I, I actually, I was really smart, but I never got good grades because I never paid attention. I was always in trouble, fighting and getting in trouble and fighting. And they knew pretty much right away. Like my grandfather, he never tried to steer me out of the life because he just kind of knew that's where I was going. So my uncle Pete was kind of my mentor, Peter Toko. Um, he was only 12 years older than me. So he was kind of more like an older brother. Yeah. He just kind of began to use me as a, as a tool to do different hustles and, and scams. And if you ever, if your audience ever wants to read um, what's called the Limbloom Chronicles, uh, these are short stories about my life before prison my own life and you kind of chronicles my uh, almost in chronological uh, me getting begin uh, my life into that you know criminal activity Monka Pete yeah yeah so I was by the time I was in high school you know I, I got kicked out of school for possession of stolen property fighting all kinds of stuff and I just kind of yeah I never went back to school I just started hustling and that was my way of life and um, I always looked at um there's always an angle to make money. I look at people who make it eight, 10 bucks an hour, like they were nuts. You know, I might not make a lick or a score for uh, a month, but when I did, it was 10,000 bucks or, you know, I could just sit on back and, you know, live, yeah. live like a king for a month, you know, and then plot my next move, you know. When you explain it like that, I mean, it almost seems a surprise that you didn't go to prison or I don't know if you went to prison for small stretches, but you didn't go to prison for your big chunk till you was 29 years old. And then you walked out, you know, at age 44, 13 years later, you'd written nine novels. Did you go to prison before that? Or was there times when you thought, actually, I'm probably not going to end up in prison, probably going to end up dead? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I never went in prison before that. But I've been a few stretches in jail, um, short stretches. Yep. Most, I think, was like six months or something. But, um, you know, good lawyers can do a lot. I got out of trouble several times because of good lawyers and technicalities and my family had uh good lawyers on uh, retainer so i bet yeah <laughs> if you go down my criminal uh if i sometimes i look at my own criminal record i'm like wow the stuff that i just beat 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 dropped out dismissed 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 100 percent, i thought i was gonna end up dead or in prison for a long time all my life so when this happened uh and i went away there was a part of me that was relieved you know there's a part of me that was like I breathe a sigh of relief like a monkey off my back. I was just like, okay, this is it. You know what I mean? And yeah. finally, I can get, get myself clean uh, away from this life. And towards the end, it was a nightmare. And everybody, I've had friends go, oh, man, you know, 
you couldn't get out and work a regular job like a regular guy. You know, and I'm like, dude, it's my life was very tor tormenting. You know, you, you can't sleep at night because the next day you might be in prison or dead. And it yeah, was, it must, you must have had definitely felt like it was coming, especially towards the end. Oh, it's 100% knew it was coming. I was waiting for it. You know, I was almost, I was out of control. Yeah. Um, I was, I was hooked on drugs, doing some gambling. I just was living like, um, pretty recklessly at the time. Was there one specific moment why they caught you or did it was just like accumulation of things that just, it was just a, no, no it was a specific moment. They caught me. It was all a big setup with the, um, the FBI and the, the, the feds for bank, um, heist, if you will. Yeah. And, and they had the marked money and they gave it to me. I orchestrated a bank robbery and, um, and they got in a big high speed chase. I mean, there was, there was FBI, two, three different counties, sheriffs chasing me. It was crazy. And I ended up crashing my car, got out and ran and, and you know, took somebody's car at gunpoint. And, and then that car ran out of gas. And then I uh, was running down the street with a pistol and a bag of money. And, oh, uh, my and God. They, but they had a tracking device. And I'm thinking, how the hell they keep catching me? Because I was losing yeah. them. And then they just surrounded me, man. I never saw so many cops. It was just like blocks at every corner. You know, I mean, and then they just were like, you know, drop the gun. And, you know, so I did. Because I know American police do like to oh, yeah. first ask questions later. Well, the, the Detroit police are, are horrible, notorious. I had them, one of my friends, they shot 19 times. And he actually lived and sued them for um, excessive force. They, they did yell, shoot, mother effer, shoot, shoot. You know what I'm saying? They were yeah. all up on their car like this. Yeah. Standing there. They're like, shoot, mother effer, shoot. And I'm like, I threw the pistol. And uh, then one of them came running up. For whatever reason, he thought he was Ray Lewis or something, you know. You know yeah. He thought he was an NFL linebacker. You know, look at me. I'm 250 pounds. Come running up like he's going to tackle me. And really, I just sidestepped him. He went flying by. And then he got up and like charged me again and tried to tackle me. And I was just like, come on, man. I gave up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't yeah. have to sit there, you know. And, and, and then all of a sudden, they were just I, on me. I bet, yeah. You must and then they beat the crap out of me so bad that I had to go to the hospital and get a full body CAT scan. They pistol whipped me and they cuffed me up and pistol whipped me and kicked my ass, you know. And, yeah. And then, um, of course, then they lied in the um, – in a police report, which was funny, I remember reading the police report. I was like, "Wow!" They all, all of them conspired to make up the story that I fell off a fence and then slipped on the ice, and that's how my body got so busted. I fell off a fence, ten foot fence, and then, um, and then slipped on the ice twice and cracked my head open. So I had to get stitches, you know. Yeah. I've never been that beat up in my life. I've been in some. I've been jumped a couple of times. The dumb guys worked me over so bad that within twenty minutes, uh, I was. I remember looking at my body, going, "Unbelievable!" Twenty minutes, I was just covered in bruises. Yeah, I, I was in shock. I didn't, you know what I mean? Then the FBI came in the back and was like, you know, do you want to make this go all the way? You know, we know who your family is. You know, you want to tell us, you know, some, tell us, you know, you want to talk? And I'm yeah. like, get me my lawyer. I don't, you know, you got the wrong guy. Yeah. And then he left. And then uh, the, the, the sergeant of the priest or the captain at precinct came back. Um, the ATF is here for you. Uh, two, three different counties. Um, the FBI they all want to take jurisdiction over you. And I'm like, Phew. he's like, you're front page news. I'm like, are you kidding me? And um, I'm like, why? And they're like, you know, but anyway, the county that had the most charges against me was able to take jurisdiction. Okay. So you served 13 years. How many years did they actually officially give you when you went into prison or went into 13 to 50 years? Yeah. To, to 50. I, 13 to 50. I did 13.4, 13.3 uh, years. Um, but I did plea out. 
you know, I had like 17 capital charges and I pled them down to um, like five. There was no winning, no going to trial, no fighting. Yeah. It was just, it was over. So, I mean, looking at that, that you got between 13 to 50 years, it's, it's, you'd assume that you, you did quite well in prison as, as in like you behaved yourself and didn't get in any, any trouble. When you like wake up that first day and you're facing potentially 50 years, talk to me about the mentality and how quickly was it an instant like I'm going to sort myself out now or you know did you straight away think oh I'll write books or were you were you down for a long time did you start to sort of build yourself up and have a purpose in there it hits real hard man you know to sit there and like that first day like you said it's like my god my you know my girlfriend walked out of the courtroom bawling you know she had to be contained but everybody's in the courtroom like freaking out and I was, you know, a lot of me was like, man, I don't think I can do 13 to 50 years or whatever. But you're, you know what? I immediately said, immediately um, said, I'm not going to be a statistic. I'm not going to be um, another, you know, another guy who comes out of prison, a, a bigger loser or whatever. And so um, I started when I went to was in the county jail waiting to get sentenced and fighting the case. I ended up in the hole. I ended up doing um, 17 months in the hole. Which is a long time in the hole. Yes. Yeah. But in that time, I wrote probably three or four novels in my head. In my head. Yeah. I laid there all day. So I did a lot of reading. And then when I, something sparked my imagination, I'd set that book down. And I would write that book in my head um, for hours and hours and hours, maybe days and even weeks. And before bed, after. And, and I, I would come up with... Um, the beginning and the characters and then the middle, which is the conflict and then the resolution. Yeah. Um, and then of course, when I started writing those books, um, I just fill in the blanks as I go creating characters as I, as I needed um, creating subplot and other things as I go. But yeah, a lot of people are asking, how did you do it? Did you make a character outline and all this stuff? Never done it. I just have a beginning, middle and end. And I just fill it out as like, and I fill in the blanks as I go. And I've always turned out the books are always turned out really, really good. So. Awesome. And we get a lot on this show of like, you know, entrepreneurs are saying you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time around and your environment's really important and that you, you become the average. In prison, obviously, I'm sure there wasn't that many good role models. How did you manage to, did, was it just an, an isolation thing? So you just had to keep yourself to yourself. I didn't make a lot of friends in prison. And uh, because of that, I was unliked, you know what I'm saying? Because I stuck to myself. I didn't join a gang. I didn't play cards in the day room. I didn't sit on the yard telling war stories. I didn't get drunk and high like a lot of guys. I just stayed in my cell and either read or wrote. Mm -hmm. um, the few people I got, few guys I got close to, you know, I tell them that what my goals are. And sometimes I let them even read my manuscripts and they're like, wow, you know, and everybody had passed the manuscripts around. They're just like, wow, I can't tell you how many people were just, just uh, shocked by the, by the quality of my work. And, you know, in prison, you have a lot of, a lot of readers. I mean, a lot of prolific readers who, because, you know, most of the time, guys have read thousands and thousands of books to come back and like, dude, this is the best book I've ever read. And not just this book that we're talking about today, but other books that I've read, uh, wrote too. And they just read in the raw manuscript. But, but yeah, it has a lone wolf. And, you know, there's not a lot of lone wolves in prison. In prison, you have um, only lone wolves usually are crazy or real badasses. And I like to think I was a little of both. <laughs> you know, being big helped. You know, I go to the gym outside. You know, they have a weight pit outside. Yep. It's a, a roof, you know, gym. It's winter, freezing, doesn't matter. You work outside. And uh, because I was strong and big, you know, 
and then I had a reputation from the streets. I know people, you know, a lot of people from the streets here and there, uh, you know, when they come to prison, they tell stories about me from the streets. You know? So a lot of that left me alone. A lot of the like gang, bank, gang leaders and stuff would uh, kind of befriend me a little bit, like to get to know me and always tell their guys, you know, don't bother him, you know what I'm saying? And um, so I was a lone wolf, 13 years, stayed out of trouble that way and uh, did my job. Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, being released, what were your thoughts when you, you come out and also writing nine novels is an achievement. And, you know, even the, if they're really high quality, that's less than half the battle because you've got to get them out there. So what are your thoughts around promoting yourself and as an entrepreneur, you know, getting your stuff out there and building this brand and which has only been realistically since you've been out one year? Yeah. I found in my mind in prison, I thought it was going to be easy, you know. I, um, the hardest part about publishing a book um, is is promoting it, and the the the, the final editing and proofing is very difficult too. Um, you have to be if you really want a high quality product. Yeah, I'm finding that out at the moment because I'm near that, and I underestimated how long it's taking the final editing and proofing. And yeah, it's really yeah. tough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. It's constant work. I mean, it's hours and hours. That book, I've had thousands of hours into that book, mm. um, thousands. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thankfully, my wife, who is the master basically of everything, um, <laughs> yeah, she yeah. was been in the publishing and or kind of technology field all of her life. Because of her, thanks to her, she made that process a lot easier, was able to help me proof and, and acquire beta readers and do all the editing, a lot of the editing, the final, like, not, maybe not editing, because I do all the final editing. Yeah. Um, but the final proofing, which is also very hard, too. And then the uploading and formatting for the ebook and the print book and the cover design and everything's got to be perfect. Ton of work, ton of work. And then yeah. marketing comes along and you're like, okay, so I'm, I'm publishing this book uh, without going through a mainstream publisher. But today, if you go through a mainstream publisher, it's basically a wash. You don't make any money. Yeah. They give you an advance. They sell your book until you make that advance back. And on, on the off chance that you are like this huge success that maybe you get a movie deal or, or maybe they, you know, you sell a bunch of very limited marketing for you. Yeah. Pay back that advance, 5% or royalties. So at the end of the day, basically you don't make nothing. So, yeah. I mean, I've had other author friends tell me, they're like, man, I wish I would have done it like you. I make some money. Now, if you do it like me independently, you, you have to do all your marketing, which I've been blessed in the fact that I've had help. And then I've lucked up, lucked up on some some websites. There's a lot of big websites, uh, mafia fan groups and mafia websites. And yeah. the, I got like a suggestion on Facebook for this uh, mafia group called a website called um, a national crime syndicate. So I reached out to them and I said, you know, would you mind help me promote this book? So they reached back and said, sure, you know, no problem. Uh, would you mind writing a small piece for us? Maybe a story about your past. I said, great, no problem. Yeah. And I did it and it, and uh, it got like tens of thousands of views. And I was like, they're like, whoa, this is like green, huge traction. Would you mind writing another one? And I'm like, sure. They're called the Limbloom Chronicles. Yeah. And so they helped me promote my book. It's a pretty big site. I mean, they got like a quarter million unique views a month and like 600,000 uh, subscribers or something. So it's a bit, they're like really highbrow. That's like I said, I got lucky because they're the biggest one on the internet. Like the yeah. biggest, biggest website, mafia website. And they what? have a bunch of bunch of writers and a bunch of researchers and retired FBI agents and journalists. It sounds obvious, but what brought you up to uh, Roger city, the middle of nowhere? Well, I told my, I'm a big uh, fisherman and outdoorsman, you know? Yeah. And I always was, even when I lived in Detroit 
and all you know, the best times of my life were when I got to go up north with my dad when I was a kid or yeah. when I came of age, had my old driver's license. I did a lot of camping and fishing, stuff like that. And so my wife was able to, is, works from her home office and she could work from anywhere. And she also loves the outdoors. One of the reasons we fell in love because she loves the outdoors and just loves just the up north life. Yeah. And so I said, you know, would you be willing to move somewhere up north? And, um, you know, a series of events that she waited six years for me when I was in prison. And uh, she lived in a couple different places and then ended up finding a house for to rent in Roger City, which is the greatest place. Uh, I mean, it worked out perfect. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, the, they have super nice, beautiful people, um, great fishing and hunting, amazing, you know, off-road trails for ORVs, snowmobiling. Um, so it's just it was a perfect place, small town environment that i always wanted and uh nice people so i love it here cool so this we're going to start to wrap things up with the alpha round the tools tips resources and any advice as well so is there a particular quote that you like to live your life by or resonates with you it could be a famous one or it could be something just an ethos you have i'm going to say that um it's just kind of cliche very simple but never give up and believe in believe in your your abilities meaning so many people have gifts and talents you know but they never apply them because they have a lack of self-confidence. They think that they just can't do it. They can't write the book. They can't start the company. They can't you know, achieve their athletic goals, getting shape. They can't, it's just something inside them tells them they can't do it. But the truth is anybody can do it. Um, it's just a matter of applying and hard work. It's funny how many talented people there are out there. I mean, it just, but you just got to apply yourself. You know, the biggest regret in life, and um, I think most people have, is when they get to be eight old, they'll look back and say, you know, I could have been, or I could have done. And here I am wasting my life. So I might, my that is to say is uh, never give up on your dreams. You mentioned you're a bit of a reader. Apart from your own books, is there a particular book that you read that had a, a lasting impact on you or springs to mind when I say a book that you'd like to recommend? Uh, my favorite book is Mario Puzo's uh, Sicilian, which it's a book that resonates really well with me because it's about Sicily. And I heard so much about it growing up because my grandparents were born and raised in, or born in Sicily. And they came back. They used to go every year to Sicily, every other year. And it just has this very old world feel of like honor and integrity and just of the, the people of Sicily. It resonates with my culture, what yeah. I was raised in. But uh, and it's a really, really great and also kind of sad story. But um that's my favorite. My favorite writer, um, though, is actually Robert Ludlum. <laughs> Go figure. Have you ever read Robert Ludlum? No, I, know, I recognize the name. And which, remind me, I know obviously he's a famous writer. Which books are, which are his most oh, He famous? wrote the Jason Bourne series. Oh, that's, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and, and the, uh, the Company and a lot of other um, really, really cool, uh, like, you know, spy, espionage, yeah. you know. I actually, my fifth novel is called Eagle's Talon, which I'll publish at some point. It's kind of, was inspired like you know Robert Lundin like he's the master I don't think I could ever duplicate something he does but I between him and him, him and Tom Clancy who are both um kind of uh, my favorite couple of my favorite writers yeah I was like I could write one of these and I did I wrote a really good one so when it comes to writing your your novels um I assume your resources were quite limited in prison but is there a particular habit and I'm sure I'm, it's again very different because you obviously you had that time and a bit isolated but is there a particular routine or way that you found you was productive in terms of getting the books written do you have a sort of like a routine or a strategy or not a lot of resources there's no internet there's yep. libraries i've read a lot of books um 
but really my routine was was very i mean it was very routine yeah i would get up i would make myself something to eat a cup of coffee and i'd write all day all day and yeah. only time i would break is to work out or go to the chow hall yeah. and then around you know eight, nine ten o'clock at night i'd shut my typewriter down because i don't want to drive my um my bunky nuts because we're in there a two-man cell yeah. no one would type in and print it all that yeah. yeah it was a typewriter literally a, yeah. a, a old word processor oh. with a 20 yeah. character 20 character little screen and I'd lay on my bunk and I'd just peck away for hours and print, I had to print it out. Yeah. You know, ink ribbon. And, uh, <laughs> uh, well, yes. I suppose that's the advice. If you want to like bang out nine complete novels in 13 years, you've literally got to lock yourself away and just write all day. <laughs> that's <laughs> how intense it is. And yeah, it is that intense. Yeah. It, it takes about my process using that process is about a year full time per novel. Although I wrote yeah. one that was shorter, probably took me six, seven months, but but yeah, I mean, the process, because I, I don't mess around. I only write one chapter at a time, and, and I write maybe eight to ten, edit it eight or ten times. Yeah. So I print it out, throw it away, print it out, throw it, and I just line by line, edit and proof. So it's a lot of, it takes probably at least a week just to write one chapter. From what someone who's not in the mobs or doesn't know that much about it, apart from the movies, it seems it's very hard to get out. And again, if you do and manage to get away from it, people usually keep a low profile, which is kind of the opposite if you're trying to promote a book. I assume, obviously, you did your time. That obviously, you didn't. There's no, what are the ties now? What's the situation? Like, because obviously, you're you've got to keep up. You're trying to get a high profile for your books and stuff. How does that work now? Is well, I'm I uh, I'm out of that game. Everybody yeah. I work for is dead. Some of the associates are still alive. A few of the old men. Yeah. But uh, when I write about the Limboom Chronicles, I never bring up those those people. The people I bring up are dead. A few of people who are alive, I've changed the names of. Yeah. Um, my book's fiction, by the yeah. way. And, um, but those limit. So those those people probably aren't happy with me about the fact that I'm bringing um, to light that there the, 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 there's a mafia element in in Detroit. It's, but it's common knowledge. Everybody knows yeah. it. I mean, Scott Bernstein wrote a book called Motor City Mafia. He did a documentary called motor city mafia detroit confidentials a two-hour yeah. documentary it's been on a and e you know whatever yeah He's, um the fbi know way more than even i know about everything including yeah. me um so i you know whatever i don't think i they're happy about it but they don't give a crap you know they got yeah. better things to do they're making money a few of them i've talked uh, had you know communication through other parties or like you know good luck just don't mention this that and the other and yeah. so you know they know i'm just you know, it's just another hustle. It's just another racket, if you will. And, um, <laughs> that's how they see it, you know. I'm yeah. Working what I got, making lemonade out of lemons. What do you think in terms of mental toughness or allowed you to get out of that lifestyle? I know you was obviously in prison, but majority of people who go in prison, in, in some ways they get worse because of that environment. For anyone who's not necessarily prison or not necessarily in, a, in the mob, but in an environment what they don't like and they can't see the way out, you got any ideas how you think would be a, a good way to at least start stepping in the direction you really want to well, go? I am a Christian. So first and foremost, that's where, where I rely on is my faith, is my cornerstone. It's, it's easy for me to say, don't make excuses, you know, man up, yeah. do what you got to do. Not everybody can do it that easy. You know, there's a, a lot of people have so much pride that they don't like to rely on family and friends and things like that. Um, I think that's a big mistake. I think people who love you are more than willing to help you if you just ask. And that doesn't mean money, but it can mean whatever. And so rather than try to be a standalone guy, 
um, talk to your people who love or care about you. And I think lots of times they'd be more than glad to help you with whatever they can. Cause it's, you know, everybody who loves somebody, um, it always feels good to help them, you know? And, but a lot of times men have so much pride that they don't, they don't ask for help from loved ones and the pride gets in the way and, you know, it can hamper, you know, their success in life. Or- Definitely have to ask you this. Cause obviously I'm sure around this subject, we could talk a lot of things and you come across as a guy who doesn't, doesn't get easily scared of stuff or you don't fear much. But what was a time, what was one of the scariest things that ever happened to you in terms of your, your previous career, as it were? You got asked that in the last interview, which is, that's why I'm chuckling. Uh, the scariest moment, like I told him, I've been in a couple of gunfights and um, I've been shot. And that's terrifying, terrifying. But although at the moment, you have so much adrenaline that um, you're not thinking, oh, I'm scared. You're just yeah. like, man, it's total self-preservation. Yeah. Shoot first, aim good, and live. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I've been shot a couple of times, but those the adrenaline, I didn't even feel it. I've been stabbed. I've been jumped and stabbed a couple of times. Um, what was the, well, out of all these scenarios you mentioned, where was the one where you thought, oh, crap, this ain't get, like I'm oh, done yeah, for? Yeah. Was there ever a time when you thought this is kind of my numbers up? Yeah. A uh, guy put a gun to my head and wrapped uh, a bullet into the chamber and it jammed. So I, had, I was sitting in my car talking to a guy. We were arranging uh, a deal. Um, making an arrangement yep. and uh, he had caught he had been taking so long I was getting ready and I always left my car and drive because and I backed up because the car in front of me so I could make a fast escape finally the guy gets in the car and the arrangement that we had um, that we had agreed upon he kind of reneged on it he said nah I need you know we can do it this way and I said nah that don't work well he was trying to distract me right summertime I had my window down and all of a sudden I heard I felt this, don't move mother effort, you know, yeah. don't move mother effort. And I kind of looked and saw a big Magnum pistol against my head. And, uh, you know, that's when you sit, realize. And then all of a sudden he goes, you know, goes to rack around in it yeah. and it jams. And, uh, I mean, for whatever dumbass reason, this guy didn't have a round in the gun, which is yeah. stupid. <laughs> I, I guess maybe, maybe he was trying to show me that he's all business, whatever. Well, I had kept the gun on and I always had a gun on. And so um, they knew it too. So yeah. as, soon as, as soon as you go in the gun jams, I know it's like my life is on the line. So I reacted instantly. So bam, I grabbed the gun and like start fighting with him. But I look over at this guy because I don't know if he's got a yeah. gun. So I don't know if he's going to pull one out too. But he dove out of the car. So I reached my gun around and fired, bam. And, and he dropped the gun, uh, landed in the back seat. And then I just threw my car and, and drive. I didn't hit him. He okay. ducked it, you know, he ducked it yeah. and took off running. Yeah. Okay. And then I, I took off running. I mean, I grabbed my, threw my car and drive and peeled off. And um, then, you know, I shot him guys about a week later and we had an exchange of bullets. Blimey, but you're glad you're out of that now. Amongst all of the other things, you've launched the clothing line. So tell us a little bit about that then. So that's kind of, ser- I'm going to tell you about the ser- serendipitous uh, evolution of this clothing line. While we were promoting my book, I had a, had some sweatshirts made with the cover of my book on the front of it. And then my boy's like, what are you going to put on the back? I'm just, I said, just put Detroit, our thing. Yeah. Now, for those that don't know what our thing means, you may have heard the term La Cosa Nostra. Are you familiar with it? I think only because I've spoke to you about it in the gym a few months well, back. <laughs> La Cosa Nostra is what the FBI and the, ma- the mafia refers to itself as La Cosa Nostra. They don't ever say mafia. That's a swear yeah. word. Yeah. They say La Cosa Nostra, which means our thing in English. So... I just had said Detroit, 
our thing in quotes, you know, kind of like a, a double yeah. entendre, kind of a secret double entendre. Yeah. So I posted pictures of this sweatshirt at all these um, various mafia fan groups and websites and stuff like that. Everybody's like, I want one of them. So, you know, me and my partner were like, yo, this, this, this might, we might be out of something. So we yeah. trademarked the name, started a company and a website, and, and um, I, I designed all these different designs, come up with our logos and everything, and I and did it. And um, now we have sold clothes from London to Italy to Spain to everywhere. You know, it's funny. We sell everything from T-shirts and jumpsuits to athletic apparel and everything. We've got a men's toiletry line coming out. <laughs> Blimey. Yeah got a lot going on well this is the other thing as well a lot of time people assume they have just so much time and they never get around to something whereas you obviously only been out you've achieved a lot in only being out for a year and i feel like that's when i came across you you really it comes across that your time and freedom is not given and you're making the most out of every second every minute what is the future for you what's the big plan what's coming up oh i got a ton of stuff going on but you know a movie for my book starters I'm uh, having tentative talks with a very large uh, a Fortune 500 CEO, believe it or not, who may invest in executive producing the film. I have a screenwriter who's interested. I have, um, you know, it's, that's, there's, a, there's a, such a complex um, series of events that need to align yep. to make a movie out of my book. But it's going to happen. It's just a matter of Time, how, yeah. Yeah, how, when, why, where, and what's financially best for myself. With the books, because you obviously you got nine that you wrote when you was um, away. Are they when's the, is it one a year or is it just as and when is the right time or how's that going to work? Yeah, the right time. You know, the thing is, it's it's not that easy to write. But I plan on writing, releasing another book this year. Everybody's screaming for volume three of this series. Yeah, um, which everybody finishes it and they're like, you know, they're almost mad at me for not you know publishing it. You know? I mean, you get a That's lot of people. great that there's that demand there and they're hooked. Oh. Really? I knew that was going to happen. The way I end, the way I end it, they're just like, "Come on, man! Where's the <laughs> right? oh, Come on! You can't just end it like that." <laughs> and I'm like, you know, just wait around. Then the Godfather Two was, you know, released ten years after one. I won't wait that long, <laughs> but I will release it. You know, it's in here in my head. Yeah. But I have, I want to read the rewards of some of the other books. Yeah. And so I have one. The next book that I'm going to release is called the uh, the Snowman Chronicles, which is a really good book, and I think my fans are going to love it. I mean, they're going to love it. Because it's kind of like mafia meets, uh, imagine like Blow meets uh, Goodfellas or something. Uh, <laughs> so that's on the horizon. That'll be my next book. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. What's the best way, if people want to, you've mentioned a few ways, what's the easiest or best way if someone wants to find out more about you and everything else you're up to? Um, my, my website, pretty simple, gunnerdetroit.com. Um, I am on Facebook, but I'm kind of maxed out on Facebook friends. Yeah. But I do have an Instagram, Gunner Detroit. And uh, the my book has its own um, website to be a king. So mm -hmm. I have an skewed Facebook page. But really, Gunner Detroit. Just go yep. to Gunner. We'll put all the links on the, the show notes. And as I say, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I think it's a, it's a good interview to anyone listening. No matter how far you've gone down a certain path, if you're not happy with it and it's the wrong path, you can always, you know, make a stand and make a change and turn it all around. So it's, it's good to see you doing good things, man. Thank you. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. As usual, please do head over to ayalpha.com to connect with the show, connect with me. Do the little guy a favor. Subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back. <laughs>